Well, it's great to see you this morning. Like Pastor Andrew said earlier, whether you're in the room or you're watching online, we're so thankful that you've taken time on your Sunday morning or whenever you're watching this, whenever you're listening to this, to kind of connect in with us. And Thanksgiving is over, so we are now officially into the Christmas season, which makes me excited. I know it makes many of you excited as well, and our decorating team did an amazing job getting the building ready to look like Christmas, and we're really excited about that. How many of you are excited to start singing Christmas songs, too? There's been a few people that have said to me, when are we going to start singing Christmas songs? And they're really excited about it. So we're, we're getting there. We're getting there, and it'll be really cool. But I wanted to, even though we're not starting our Christmas series this week, we're going to start next week. That video kind of moves us into the Christmas season, but also focuses so much on the fact that Jesus is our Savior and is our Messiah. And that's going to be our focus and one of the things that we're going to talk about today. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet, my name's Corey. I get the honor and privilege of being one of the pastors here at Grace Family. And I'm just excited to be able to share with you today. This is our third week in our Anchored series. It's the final week. And what we've been doing, if you haven't been able to continue on with us, you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, you can always go back to our YouTube channel and watch the last couple of weeks if you want to catch up. But we've been talking through our shared commitments that we hold as a church family and that our fellowship of churches hold. So let me just throw these up on the screen for you so you can see what they were. And I can remind you what the last couple of weeks were. Two weeks ago, we talked about truth. truth, And we said we believe the Bible and we hold it as our authority. And so we had that conversation. We talked about why we can trust the Bible. We talked about what the Bible teaches, what Jesus teaches and whether it applies to us today. And again, if you missed that, you can go back and watch it. We talked about relationship last week. And our statement is this, our churches care for one another in Christian love. And we talked about the fact that we're not just talking about churches there, but we believe the people within our local church should care for one another as well. And we focused on the idea where Jesus prays for the church moving forward, prays for us, and says he looks for one thing. He asks God for one thing. He asks for unity. And we talked about how if our church, local church, church to church, if we can be unified, it would be something that people outside of church, outside of the body of believers would want to be a part of because the world around us we know can be so disjointed and not unified. And that brings us to this week. And this week we're going to talk about mission. And our statement is this, together we strive to accomplish the great Commission. These are the three things that we, as a church, have as shared commitments that we would say we want to hold each other to and encourage one another to do, but that also our fellowship of churches holds each other to and wants each other to be able to do well. And so I'm excited to dive into week three with you. But when we look at that statement and we say our goal is to fulfill the Great Commission, we have to understand exactly what that is. And in order to understand what that is, we have to go to Matthew chapter 28, and we'll go there in a second. But if you didn't know or you don't understand where this is coming in Scripture, Matthew 28 is the end of Jesus' time on earth. He's getting ready to leave. He's been on earth for 33 years. He spent three of those years in ministry. He, he's now died and risen from the dead. He's he spent time appearing to people to show that he was the Savior and Messiah, like our video just said. And then he's getting ready to leave. He's getting ready to go back to heaven to live with his heavenly father. And so in Matthew 28, what's happening is he's giving kind of the last pep talk in the last huddle 
that he's going to have with his followers. And he's surrounded by the 11 remaining disciples and other followers, and he's getting ready to leave because now for the first time, they have to be followers of Jesus without physically following Jesus because he's going to leave. And so these are the last instructions that he gives to them. It says, Jesus came, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Next verse, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus breaks this down for them and gives them a few things. And we're going to walk through this for a little bit today and kind of see how this applies to us. What does that mean for us 2,000 years later as we hear this message and we have to carry this out and make it a reality in our local church context and then to people even outside our church. And the mission, I think, is simple. The mission is to carry the gospel to others. And the way that I think about this is very simple. I'm going to give us an illustration to help us kind of guide our, our thinking today. And I don't know about you, but I, I don't like running. Does anyone in the room like running? Okay. Okay. So Mike, the crazy person over there and a couple of people. Okay. So I know people who do. Mike runs like every day, by the way. He's here in the office and I see him go out my window and he just goes running, right? Good for you, Mike. I can't do it. I've, I've, I will not join you if you invite me. But we, I just don't enjoy Running. I know people who do. I know people. I, my dad has run 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons, marathons. He's nuts too. Um, and so there's this idea of running. And some people really love it. And we even watch running on TV. The Summer Olympics were supposed to be this summer. They got moved to next summer. So maybe we'll get to see it. But one of the events you might watch when you're watching the Olympics is the relay. And so you're watching one person run around, and they hand the baton to the next person, right? And then they run, and then they hand the baton, and then they run. There's usually four. And so this constant thing is there's people that are working together, and the whole goal is for that person to hand off the baton to the next person. Now, in the relay, you get to, once you hand off the baton, you get to stop running, right? But here's the picture I want us to understand today. Our mission is to continually hand off the baton. We, as we go through life, are always running, trying to follow Jesus, or at least moving forward, trying to follow Jesus. And we're always looking for a stationary person, a person who's not running yet, a person who needs to be handed the gospel, or in this case, handed the baton so they can continue running. Here's how that works. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, right? And this is a constant thing that he wants them to continue to do. Our goal as followers of Jesus should be to hand the baton off and watch that person run, but we don't get to stop running. We have to find the next stationary person, hand them a baton, and have them run. Next stationary person, hand them a baton, have them run, and continually hand the gospel to more and more people. Why? So that at the end of our time on earth, we can see or know of certain people who are now running to hand the gospel off to more people than when we started. That's the goal. That's what Jesus is asking us to do and calling the disciples to do in this passage. But it gets a little tricky because I can talk about that word picture and you can say, Pastor Corey, that's a great word picture. But here's the thing, right? Actually handing the baton off in a real way, in real world context, 
can get a little bit tricky. Actually having the gospel conversation with someone can get difficult. It can be scary. It can be daunting. It can be uncomfortable. So we can, I can stand up here all day and be like, hand the baton off, hand the baton off. But what does that actually mean and how do we actually do it? And that's what I want to talk about for a little bit today. There are two questions that I want to talk about first. The first question is how do we define the gospel? You have to know how to define it and know what it means in order to hand it off to somebody, right? In order to actually explain it and be able to have people understand what you're trying to tell them about. The second question is this. If someone asked you how to become a follower of Jesus, what would you say? And I'll be honest. In the time that I've spent in ministry talking to different Christians and having these conversations with people, these types of questions can make people a little bit uncomfortable. It can be difficult for, for people that have been in church a very long time to understand and succinctly be able to have a conversation about these things. And I'm not here to put blame on any of us if that's the way we feel. But what I want to do is to have this conversation today so that when we have the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, when we have the opportunity to fulfill the Great Commission, we actually know what to say and how to say it how we can walk into that conversation confidently, knowing what we're trying to share with somebody else. I found two definitions of what the gospel is that came from two authors that I've, I've read books from. And I just thought they were, they were two very good definitions that we could walk through at, to start our conversation today. The first one is from a guy named Kevin DeYoung. It says, a holy God sends his righteous son to die for, our unright for unrighteous sinners so we can be holy and live happily with God forever. The second one is from a man named Tim Keller. You might have heard of him. He's a pastor in New York City. That we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. In those two quotes, there were just two guys that, are followers of Jesus that somebody said, how would you define it? And those were just in their words. There are two basic ideas that I want to start with, and then we'll flesh it out a little bit from there. The first idea that we have to do is recognize our sin, right? Both of the places that they both started were in the fact that there was sin. That's the hardest part. We don't like recognizing that we have a problem. We don't like recognizing that we're not good enough. But in order to accept the gospel, in order to become a follower of Jesus, that's the place we have to start. But the second thing is just as important, and the second thing is just how much Jesus actually loves us and how much God was willing to do to restore the relationship with us. So these two ideas, then if we flesh it out a little further, I have five places I want to go or five things that I think will help us Walk through this conversation. If you were to have a conversation with somebody who says to you, I mean, they tee it up for you, right? How do I become a follower of Jesus? What would you say? Here are the five things that I think we should go to to help them understand. The first thing is what we just talked about. Number one is you have to recognize your own sin or I have to recognize my own sin. We all have to come to the place where we're willing to say there is something wrong. There's a problem that needs to be fixed. And so we need to have that conversation. If somebody's not ready to go to that space yet, we can't become a follower of Jesus. 
because it can't be on us. And that's where number two leads us. It says, we, I said, we believe Jesus died to pay for our sin. Let me, let me kind of explain this a little bit. Maybe you were at Thanksgiving and maybe you have, you had on a white sweater or a white article of clothing or white shoes. And at some point through Thanksgiving dinner, somebody spilled gravy on you. Okay. It is sad. All of a sudden, your nice white article of clothing or light-colored article of clothing now has gravy on it. Now, here's what I know that you did not do. You did not take this article of clothing, take it to the washing machine, set it on the washing machine, and walk away, and wait a few hours and come back and expect that it was clean. No, the process would have to be you'd probably need to spray something on it like shout or whatever it might be. You probably need to put it in the washer, use detergent, and hope that it came out and try again if it didn't, right? You, you would go and you would add something to the mix to try and get rid of the stain from the, the white or the light-colored article of clothing. That's how we have to understand what Jesus did for us. When we recognize that we have a sin problem, that we are imperfect, we can't be the ones to fix it. You have to add something else to the mix. And that's where Jesus comes in. When Jesus steps in and his payment for our sin is then what covers our sin, then we become that nice light article of clothing again. But we can't do it on our own. And what the Bible teaches us is that the payment for sin is death. So Jesus' death had to be given in place of our own. That brings us to number three. We believe Jesus rose again, and through his resurrection, he offers us new life. See, Jesus could do a lot of things, he, but every man can die, right? Every person on the planet can die. But it was that he rose again where things change, where he becomes worth following. And so not only do we have to believe that he died in order to pay for our sins, but we have to believe that he rose again, and through that new life, he offers through his life, he offers us new life. Like I just said, the payment for sin is death. And so if we die as a non-follower of Jesus, as someone who hasn't accepted that free gift, after we die, we enter into punishment for that sin. That's what we believe the Bible teaches. But if we become a follower of Jesus and we accept that free gift, when we die, we enter into an eternal life with God in perfect relationship the way it was supposed to be. And that's what we believe Jesus offers when he rises from the dead. And that's why it's possible that we can have that new life as well. That brings us to number four. If we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that he is Lord, we will be saved. Now this is directly from scripture, but guess what? This is where it gets a little bit difficult and the tension kind of comes. Because I've been in a lot of church environments like this one, where someone like me is standing in front of you and we go through this whole process and we talk about the gospel and the person up front says, okay, now if you want to get saved or you want to become a follower of Jesus, you close your eyes, bow your head. I'm going to pray a prayer. You're going to repeat it quietly to yourself. And if you mean it, then you're going to be saved. Now that's not wrong, but here's what I've seen over and over and over again, especially in kids and teen environments is we, we wonder if it worked. We wonder if it really counted 
that time. And I would even be at kids' events, and we would do sports camps, and we would do soccer and basketball camp. And the whole point was to have kids come to know Jesus if they don't already. And so at the end of the week, we would do this. We would give an invitation. We'd tell them about Jesus. We would have them pray if they wanted to. And every year, without fail, the same kids are coming up over and over and over. And we didn't look at them and go, no, you came last year. Go back. Right? We didn't do that. But at the same time, we kind of had a conversation with them. We would say, what? you came last year. Why would you come again this year? And they would look at us and say, like, I, I don't know if I meant it. I don't know if I said the words right. I don't know. And, and many of us, may, maybe as adults too, have this fear. We just aren't as honest about it as a six-year-old would be. And so understanding this idea is imperative to what we mean and what we're inviting people to when we're offering them the gospel. And when we think about this phrase of believe in your heart, it sounds great. It's kind of vague. What does that really mean? Well, think about the things that you know to be true for sure without a doubt. Think about the love that you know is true for sure without a doubt. I hope that for many of us, it's our parents. That we know that they love us or loved us no matter what. There was nothing that we could do that would cause them to not love us. I hope that those of us that are in a marriage relationship feel that. That we know that with our spouse, there's nothing that we could do that would cause them not to love us. And when we know, or there's a best friend that you have that you know, no matter what you do, right? You could call them and having just robbed a bank and they'd be ready to drive the getaway car for you, right? You just know that that person, when you need them, they're going to be there no matter what. That's what it means to believe it in your heart because you know it's true. And so if you get to that point and you can understand that about these first three ideas where we recognize our own sin, we know that Jesus paid for it, and we believe that he rose again to offer us new life. That's what it means. When you're sure of that, beyond a shadow of a doubt. And then the second thing is you've just got to be willing to say it. Well, that's kind of easy when you believe it, right? It's easy when you know that it's true to say, yes, I, I believe that this is 100% the case. And so if we're willing to do that, that's how we show that we've stepped into that relationship with Jesus. And just so you know, if you prayed a prayer when you were six, like I did, there's no magic words. It wasn't about the words you said or how you said it. It was about having a conversation with Jesus where you were literally saying, I got things wrong with me. I need you to fix that. And I want a relationship with you. And again, if that belief is there and you're willing to say it, it's true. And the fifth thing is this. Life change is evidence of spiritual growth. This is the thing we leave out sometimes, and this is the other problem with sometimes when people stand up front and they pray a prayer, is that we leave and we go, great, they prayed it, we're done, right? That's not where it stops, because that's not the relay. That The relay then is, you just got handed the baton, guess what? It's time to run. And the life change has to come out of spiritual growth, because when there's an inward change that happens in us, then the outward way we live should change because of it. And so when we see the life change that happens, we recognize that there really was something that changed inside of us. What that looks like is what the Bible calls bearing fruit. Right? You, you live like Jesus. You want to other people 
to see him. And so when we start to run that race, it means that followers of Jesus invite others to follow Jesus. When followers of Jesus invite others to follow Jesus, more people come to know him. And the reason I say it this way, you won't hear me use, I, I don't typically use the words like saved or born again a lot. I usually use the phrase follower of Jesus because I think people that are outside of church who haven't grown up in church can kind of understand that. And maybe you've had this happen before in your life where you've had some sort of role model or somebody that you wanted to be like. Maybe when you were a kid, there was an actor or an actress that you wanted to be like, or there was an athlete that you wanted to be like, and so you had the same batting stance as them, or you shot the same shot as them, whatever that might be. You did the same goal celebration afterwards, right? We see that with kids. And so we model, we look at those people and we say, I want to be like them. Maybe it was even as simple as you wanted to be the type of husband or father or sister or mom that that person was because you saw how good they were. The same thing is true when we decide to follow Jesus. The goal is to look more like Jesus. And so every day we take steps to continue to follow him. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew 28. He said, teach them all the things that I have taught you. That meant things like that were knowledge-based, but it also meant things that they saw Jesus do. And that they were willing to emulate that and to show other people what that looked like in their lives. This is what we've committed to. This is what fulfilling the Great Commission is. Is it is a commitment to live out the gospel every day, to look more like Jesus, try to look more like Jesus every day, with the goal of handing off the baton of the gospel to the next person so that they can run and they can hand it off and the next person can run, and it continues on and on and on as the church continues to grow. So when we look at Matthew 28, here are the things that I want to point out briefly again. The first thing is that we become a disciple, right? It says, go and make disciples. And there was a moment, if you're a follower of Jesus, where you made that decision. You decided. There was, there may be a moment for some of you who are listening who haven't decided to follow Jesus yet, where you decide. And in, in that moment, you looked at the message of the gospel, you recognized your own sin, you recognized Jesus died for you, you recognized he rose from the dead, and you said, I want to be like Jesus. And you made that decision. But then there's a next step to take. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. And then he says what? Baptize them. So there's a next step. Why do we say that? Because when you get baptized, you're declaring the decision you've made. That's what baptism is. It's an outward representation of an inward choice. This may be the first place that we have a challenge today to give to some of you. I don't know. right? I'm new to the group, so I don't know who's been baptized and who hasn't. But I would say if you are a follower of Jesus, you would identify as a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptized yet, that's the next step for you. So if you're connected here at Grace Family and you're in the room, if you're connected here at Grace Family and you're online, if you are connected to another faith group that does baptisms, take that next step. Have a conversation with somebody. Let's have a party and celebrate the decision that you've made and make that declaration that you have become a follower of Jesus. I've been told how the baptistry works here yet, but I haven't figured it out. So give me a reason to figure it out, okay? Be awesome. But that's the next step if you're a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptized yet. The next step is to grow. And this is, it, it, I just said continue to learn, grow. And Jesus said go and teach them. And so there's this continued process. This is the run, right? We're not standing still. We're continuing to grow. 
and to look more like Jesus. And then the last thing is we make more disciples. We multiply. That's the fulfillment of the Great Commission, that we would multiply followers of Jesus. And that's the end goal. And so here's the challenge for us. This is the question I want us all to ask today. Is your changed life showing others it's worth it to change theirs? Is the change that you've made in your life as a follower of Jesus, is it showing others that it's worth it to make the same decision? Because they have to see it in context. They have to see it in relationship. And this is one of the changes that we've seen in the last few decades, right? Billy Graham used to sell out stadiums and people would flood to become followers of Jesus. Doesn't really happen anymore. People are way more skeptical People have seen the church do a lot of harm. People don't trust just somebody that stands up on stage anymore. There has to be a relationship. And so we have to continue to intentionally build those relationships with people to show them the changes that we've made, to show them that it's worth being a follower of Jesus by what is shown in our lives on a daily basis. There's one last, I want to go back to Matthew 28 and share this one last verse just at the very end. Because there's some tension here I want to flesh out. Jesus says, and be sure of this. This is the last thing he says. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Why does Jesus say this? It's because he knows it's going to be tough. It's because he knows that he was persecuted, that we might face the same kinds of things. That somebody may make fun of us. Somebody might say, I don't want to be friends with you anymore because you've said this. Somebody might say, I'm done. You're weird, right? I don't know. But there would be pushback when we share this with other people. And Jesus says, when you step into those situations, I'm there. You're not doing it by yourself. Because again, he was they were literally going to watch him float away. He says, I'm not leaving. And here's why this is so cool, right? We see that Jesus is Emmanuel. When he comes at the beginning of Matthew, he's God with us. When he leaves, he's still God with us. It doesn't change just because he's not physically there. Because when we're a follower of Jesus, we get the Holy Spirit. And Jesus even says, the Holy Spirit is better for you than I could be. He says, having the Holy Spirit is better for you. And so we see that God is with us even when those difficult decisions come. So having understood all of this, there's a few ways we can respond. I think there are four ways we can respond to this. Three of them are good. One of them is bad. The three good ways we can respond to this are that we can pray, we can send, we can go, or... The fourth one is we can disobey. There are always opportunities for us to pray and send and go. We should always be praying. We should always be praying for people that we know are sharing the gospel, whether it's our friend that we know is going to share the gospel with somebody that day, or it's just people we know or we think we know of, or we're just praying in general for people around the world or around the country that would be sharing the gospel. And we are just praying for them. We're going before God and saying, please give them success in sharing the gospel, handing off the baton in whatever context they're in today. That would be something that would be on our heart and we would pray for. The other thing we can do is send. We can be a part of sending people to places that we have not been called to go. That can be done 
financially. That can be done by sharing their information. That can be done by sharing with somebody else about them. That can be done by helping them move to the place where they need to go. All of those things, we can join in and say to somebody who feels that they've been called to go somewhere, I can't go with you, but I'm going to help you get there. And so we can send people to share the gospel wherever they're going. And then we can go ourselves. We can go into our workspaces. We can go into our schools. We can go into our neighborhood. We can go into the YMCA and just build those relationships with people. Intentionally having a relationship as a follower of Jesus with people who are not so that we can eventually, hopefully, share the gospel with them. Now, sometimes we say that and we go, I don't want all of my relationships to just be about sharing Jesus with people. It doesn't mean we have to be in their face about it. It just means we have to be present. For them to see that there's a difference in us, we care in a different way than somebody who maybe isn't a follower of Jesus. You know, I saw this difference um, as I was growing up. I spent a ton of time at church. I loved youth group. I loved being a part of what went on there. I always wanted to be there on Sunday nights. Every trip that we took, I wanted to be there. But I saw a difference in people that I interacted with in a very unique way. And as I was growing up, my, my grandparents and my parents were both foster parents. And so I saw people, kids, teenagers, come in and out of my home, come in and out of my grandparents' home even, that didn't know Jesus, whose family did not know Jesus. And it became very real to me, the difference of people when they know Jesus and when they don't. And it's honestly one of the reasons I'm in ministry today. Because I saw kids come into my home who had never met Jesus before in any context, in any way. And I didn't want people to not know Jesus. I wanted them to know the hope that was there. I wanted their families to reflect who Jesus was to one another. And it was very real to me. And, and we, when we just show up, when we just are, are there for them, we pray for them, we care for them, we clearly care for them as a person and not we're not just trying to push something on them, but we're caring for them as a child of God. That's not pushing anything on them. It's just loving them the way that Jesus loved them. So we can pray, send, and go, or we can disobey. And we all do that at times. We all know the conversations we should have, and then we don't. We all know the ways we should show up, and then we don't. But my goal is for us, for myself, for us as a church, that when God says, here's an opportunity to pray, send, or go, we step up and we do it. Personally, in each other's lives, with reaching people in our individual lives, as a church family, whatever it is, we show up. We say, we will pray, we will send, we will go to the places that God has called us to go. There's one more verse I want to go to, and this is the same um, passage. It's still the same instance. It's still the Great Commission, but Luke talks about it instead of Matthew, and they just heard different pieces. So it's kind of cool to kind of get two different perspectives. They're not hearing a different message. They're just hearing the same message in a different way. And in Acts 1, verse 8, the second part of verse 8, says, and Jesus says, And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I think, as I read this verse, 
that the reality of this verse has only come to pass in the last about three decades. Recognize that the disciples hearing this, for them to go to, quote unquote, the ends of the earth would have been very, very difficult. Think about it. 2,000 years ago, there would have been a lot of boat rides that they would have had to take that would not have been fun. They would have had to travel through a lot of lands that would have been hostile, not good, not easy to get to. They wouldn't be able to fly anywhere. They wouldn't be able to get to the places. But today, in the last few decades, we have the ability to reach anywhere in the world. I said it this way. For the first time in history, we can reach the ends of the earth from anywhere in the world. We have the opportunity to do that. We have to leverage that. We have the ability because of the internet, because of cell phones, because of all the technology that we have, and it's only getting better, to reach the ends of the earth from wherever we are. So our mission field is just ginormous with the way that we can reach people with the message of Jesus. And that is our goal. That's what we want to do. Whether it's right here in town, whether it's next door, your neighborhood, down the street, next county over to the ends of the earth, we have the ability to reach people with the gospel. And it should be our goal to do that. I want to transition a little bit with just a few minutes I have left. And I want to talk about something that sometimes people hear preachers talk about and we don't like it, and I get that. But don't turn me off, just hear me out. Don't click off if you're watching online. I'll know you did. So we're just, I want to have this conversation at the end, and it rolls into what we are talking about with this idea of mission. But I'm just going to put it out there. I want to talk about money for a minute, okay? How does that apply to our mission? Let me tell you. We have this goal that me and the elders came up with, and we have a goal of what we would like to see come into our church context in the whole month of December. It's a pretty big goal. We're excited about it. But goals that aren't big aren't worth reaching for, right? So we're going to tell you what our goal is, and we're going to tell you where we want our funds to go and how it ties into this idea of mission that we've been talking about today in fulfilling the Great Commission. So here it is. I'm going to put, we're going to put it up on the screen for you. Our end of year goal for the month of December is $60,000. That's what we would love to reach. Now, it's also broken out here for what we're going to send that to. The first 25% of that is going to go right to CrossNet. So CrossNet's a ministry we've already partnered with. You guys did a great job of providing presents for kids in need. They're right down the street here. They have a great facility. We have a great relationship with them. And so 25%, no matter what we raise, this is if we only get like $5,000 in December, 25% of it's still going to CrossNet. That's the goal. Why? Because we want to reach people right here in town. We're going we're gonna to partner with an organization to reach right here in town and reach New Holland. We're going to do it ourselves, but we want to partner with them as well to have a greater impact here in New Holland. The second 25% is going to something that we are calling the online campus. And that's what I just talked about with the ability to reach the ends of the earth. Let me tell you something really cool. If you look at our YouTube channel, we only really started posting regular content eight months ago. Okay. That's when pandemic hit, we had to get online, we wanted to reach people, that's when it started. I can go into the back end of YouTube and I can see who's watching our videos and I can see where they're watching from. About 60%, sorry, 67% of our YouTube watches have come from inside the United States. 
almost 33% of all of the views on our YouTube channel are from outside the United States. That's in eight months, and it's continuing to grow. So here's the cool thing. From our little church in New Holland, Pennsylvania, we're reaching way out. This is outside the United States, not just outside Lancaster, outside the United States. I think it would be foolish for us not to then say, let's put some resources towards that and see if we can see people come to know Jesus through the miracle of the internet that God has given us. And so when we think about online campus, what we're talking about is making it available and making the experience better for people to check in and being able to push our content to different places so that we can minister to them, whether it's our worship, whether it's our teaching, whether it's classes that we have, whether it's groups, whatever that might be, we want to fulfill the Great Commission and reach as far as we can even outside of New Holland. And then the last 50% is just to help us out. <laughs> if you've been getting our emails uh, every week, you've seen where we're at financially, we need a little help at the end of the year, just being honest with you. But we want that first 50% of what's coming in in December to go to reaching people outside of these walls. That's our goal. And so when we think about that, the way that we want to think about the Great Commission for us as a church family is that we would go to New Holland, we would go to Lancaster or fill in the blank wherever you're from, whether you're in Chester County or Montgomery County or in Berks County, wherever you live, wherever you're listening from, and then to the ends of the earth. That's our goal, that we would fulfill the Great Commission in all of those areas in the ways that God has called us to pray, to send, and to go. So my challenge for us this week is that we would take time, at some point, maybe in your quiet time, and just say, how would I define the gospel? How would I say it in my own words? And then think about if somebody came to you and said, how do I become a follower of Jesus? What would you say? So that you're ready in that moment to have that conversation. And then here's the part that's dangerous. I want you to pray and ask God to give you somebody that you need to hand the baton off to. Now for some of you, maybe you've been sitting here listening or you're listening online and you're going, I know exactly who I need to do that. So pray for the strength to do it. But we've got to be willing to take that step if God calls us to, to hand off the baton, to continue to see the gospel, to see the Great Commission move forward so that more people know and become followers of Jesus so that they can create more followers of Jesus. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord, we're thankful for this calling that you have given us. It's not always easy. It's not always easy to have the tough conversations, to have a conversation that might feel awkward or might feel like we're pushing something on somebody or we feel like we might be rejected. But we ask that you would give us strength to be a people that reaches and continues to make the gospel known in our context here in New Holland, to Lancaster or, or whatever area we're from, even to the ends of the earth. We thank you that you have given us a platform that can do that. And we ask to maximize that as much as possible. We thank you that you say you will go with us. You are Emmanuel. You are God with us. 
when we enter into those situations, we are not going ourselves, but you're right there beside us. And we pray for strength as you lead us into conversations that we need to have with those who don't know you. In Jesus' name, amen.